This program is presented by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Welcome to this edition of PCD Soundbites. I'm your host, Malia Haley. The health and wellness of American Indians and Alaska Natives has steadily improved since the dark days of the mid-20th century, when population levels reached an all-time low and termination of sovereign status threatened tribal existence. As sovereign peoples, however, American Indians and Alaska Natives have not escaped broader societal trends in health and disease. American Indians and Alaska Natives have some of the highest rates of chronic disease to this day due to a number of factors we will discuss today. The CDC's Good Health and Wellness in Indian Country Collection seeks to build on a new sense of possibility in Indian Country. Joining me today is Thomas Lawrence from the Urban Indian Health Institute. Thank you so much for having me. Dr. Diana Redwood from the Alaska Native Tribal Health Consortium. Thanks so much for having us. These public health experts served as authors on three separate papers appearing in this special PCD collection. Today, they'll talk with us about some of the work appearing in the collection. Thank you all for joining me. To start, tell us a little bit about yourselves. What is your background and how does it relate to this collection? Dr. Redwood? My name is Diana Redwood. I am an epidemiologist who has worked within the Alaska Tribal Health System now for the past 15 years. I grew up in Alaska and have always loved living here and working within the Tribal Health System is fantastic. My primary focus is on cancer screening and prevention programs and also a fair amount of research. Mr. Lawrence. Uh, my name is Thomas Lawrence. I am an enrolled member of the Macaw Tribe out of Neave, Washington, and I am the program manager for the Urban Indian Health Institute's Good Health and Wellness in Indian Country Project. And I am here today to talk about our recent publication with the Preventing Chronic Disease Journal called Good Health and Wellness, Measuring Impact Through an Indigenous Lens. Really how, in my background within public health, has really been quite a journey. I have been in public health for about six years now. I started out as a summer intern focusing on local community-based health with my own community out in Nia Bay. And then I moved into American Alaska Native Research, focusing on the greater urban Indian population here in King County. And currently right now, I now work for the Urban Indian Health Institute, where I focus on urban Indian populations nationwide. And really where a lot of my passion and a lot of my angst for this topic and for public health centered around American Alaska Natives is just for my love of my people and my relatives and being able to develop a sense of more concrete data and concrete information showing that, you know, American Alaska Native people really have the answers to um, addressing their own health disparities and addressing any issues that they are associated with. And so really just being able to do all the work that I can to ensure that Native people have the knowledge that we need to survive. Please give us some background on the CDC's Good Health and Wellness in Indian Country program and describe some of the program goals. We can start with Dr. Redwood. So to my knowledge, this actually was one of the first times that the CDC has done this kind of program, especially in Indian Country and tribal communities. The program aims to reduce heart disease, diabetes, and stroke among Alaska Native and American Indian people um, by doing a whole bunch of things, including increasing access to traditional and healthy foods, 
increasing physical activity, reducing commercial tobacco use, improving health literacy, promoting breastfeeding, and enhancing chronic disease management, which is a lot to pack into one program. But the program has an innovative focus to trying to support these healthy behaviors through effective public health approaches. And they've really been focusing in this program on policy systems and environmental changes. Sometimes we, we say PSC for you and me. Public health folks love their jargon. But it's really a fantastic way to go about addressing a bunch of different health topics in an overarching systematic way. And there's actually currently 27 tribal organizations that are participating in the program throughout the entire United States. Mr. Lawrence. So Good Health and Wellness in Indian Country, also known as GWIC, is a five-year initiative focused on chronic disease prevention for American and Alaskan Natives, both tribal and urban populations. So GWIC originally started back in 2014 piloted in 2014 and ended in 2019. And then now GWIC has started its second installment for 2019 to 2024. Really what this focuses on is being able to expand and strengthen and build capacity for both tribal and urban Indian populations, finding ways to address health disparities in a very culturally relevant way, while also ensuring that any health disparities that are occurring, that they can be addressed, but also it's an opportunity to provide data that is relevant to American and Alaska Natives, showing that it's more solution-based versus addressing and identifying issues. So really it's a good opportunity to kind of shift the narrative as to what evaluation of certain projects and certain grants and what that looks like. So really being having an opportunity to shift the narrative on how we talk and address chronic disease prevention. How do your respective papers in this collection contribute to the ongoing conversation on this topic in the public health community? Dr. Redwood? So our paper really focused on giving some lessons learned from our program and trying to share that with other folks who might be involved in tribal health. So although we have seen from the literature that policy systems and environmental improvements can help support healthy behaviors, we have found that public health program staff are generally not trained in the skills needed to make these kind of changes. Oftentimes people, you know, they're trained to lead a diabetes program or they are doing one-on-one clinical care. They're a dietitian, but they don't necessarily have the skill set or the training in how do you get these kind of policy changes or how do you get environmental changes at the community level. So in our program, we explored what types of training and technical assistance are really needed to help staff increase their ability to work for these kinds of changes in their health systems and their tribal communities. So this included some very innovative techniques such as digital storytelling. And digital storytelling melds traditional native storytelling techniques with technology to create short, powerful videos. These videos oftentimes incorporate you know, short little video clips along with pictures from the person's life and then sharing their story. And the, the videos really tell the person's story and it, and it can help encourage policy change 
in a way that presenting a policy or decision maker with a you know fact sheet of the statistics on secondhand smoke um, don't really quite do. They it's sometimes more compelling than that sort of thing. Uh, for example, one organization that was um, in our program, they had actually passed a tobacco-free health campus policy, but they hadn't yet implemented it. There had been some issues, so there was interest in it. It really just hadn't crossed that final hurdle to get to the finish line. So a tribal health staff member in our program had taken a digital storytelling workshop with us, and she created a digital story which explained how she and her children had to walk through cigarette smoke to get to their health clinic appointments for like her kids' checkups and how she hoped that tribal health leadership would implement the policy as soon as possible. So her digital story that she created was shared with the health leadership who then set a date for policy implementation. So we try and do a a lot of different trainings and I think these kind of things we wanted to share through our paper with other people who are working in tribal communities. Mr. Lawrence. So what our paper focused on was the overall evaluation plan of the first iteration of Good Health and Wellness in Indian Country and how the Urban Indian Health Institute collaborated with uh, the program recipients at the time and the, and the CDC GWIC staff to utilize an indigenous evaluation framework that valued uh, program recipient knowledge as they developed their own unique health interventions in their own communities. The goal of our paper was to inform our audiences that indigenous evaluation frameworks are necessary when anyone is working with American Alaska Native partners. And we wanted to demonstrate how Good Health and Wellness in Indian Country integrated that framework into a three-tiered evaluation plan. Our paper calls for fellow researchers and evaluators to recognize that indigenous knowledge and evaluations are just as effective as Western ways of evaluation. And we wanted our readers to understand that American Indian Alaska Native communities have the answers to address chronic disease in their own communities and beyond. Tell us a little about each of your papers appearing in the collection. Let's start with Mr. Lawrence. Your paper focused on measuring impact through an Indigenous lens. Your paper describes the use of an indigenous evaluation framework that prioritized strength-based approaches for documenting program activities. Can you tell us more about this framework and what you learned through its use? Yes, so the indigenous evaluation framework model came from, first we adapted an author called Joan LaFrance. And in LaFrance's article, she describes these four main core values. First is centrality of the community and the family. This requires the engagement of the community when planning and implementing an evaluation plan, making evaluation processes more transparent, and highlighting the importance of community health in addition to individual achievements. Second, we have people of a place. This recognizes a tribal entity's relationship to their land and their history how historical events have shaped current events and health conditions, and the uniqueness of this place in history. Basically reinforces this idea of what occurs in one place might not be generalizable to other situations or other locations. Third, we have recognizing individual gifts. This prompts evaluators to take a holistic approach to evaluation while acknowledging that there are different ways to conduct evaluation, that it's not a one-size-fit-all type of scenario. And then lastly is we need to uphold personal and tribal sovereignty, which is the embodiment of respect for tribal approval processes. 
that build greater capacity within our recipient communities and reporting findings in a way that are both meaningful and impactful to those people and our recipients and our communities. So with these four components and these four values, or as I would like to call them, these indigenous methods, when we couple those with community-based participatory approaches that helps emphasize transparency, creates equitable partnerships and actionable objectives to promote sustainable change and improved health outcomes, we have seen that evaluation efforts that include community participation in their design, development and implementation are more likely and effectively to document long-term change and identify program gaps, help address uh, program gaps. So what the Urban and Health Institute and the CDC, when we integrated these values, as well as with the CDC's priorities into this evaluation plan, it created an approach that met the needs of quite a big array of recipients and the diverse recipients and partners, which helped us to assess the impact and identify successful strategies for chronic disease prevention in tribal settings. In addition to that, this was more focused on the first iteration of GWIC which only was including of tribal sovereign nations. And what that means is that these people are federally recognized by the federal government. This excludes urban Indian population, which holds the majority of American Alaska Native population percentage. And so unfortunately, the first iteration did not include a big portion of our American Alaska Native relatives. But we are happy to see that the second iteration has the inclusion of urban Indians. So really what we're trying to do now is we are still utilizing this kind of framework, but now how do we make that accessible and usable and meaningful to our urban Indian partners and partner organizations? Because the difference between tribal and urban populations is urban Indian populations do not have the same sovereign rights as tribal sovereign nations do. For example, Tribal nations, because they're sovereign, can determine their own policies and can determine their own laws. Whereas urban Indian organizations in metropolitan areas do not have that same capacity. They are not able to create policies such as a no smoking area in a public area. They, that is not determined by an urban Indian organization. Those are determined by the city or by memorandums of the city or the state. It is quite an interesting opportunity to kind of see how this framework can be utilized as GWIC has developed. Dr. Redwood, your paper describes efforts to build tribal capacity to implement and evaluate policy, systems, and environmental change interventions. Please tell us more about this effort and what resulted from the training. Yeah, so policy systems and environmental change interventions. It's very wordy, PSE. It requires a substantially different set of skills than leading health programs. And to build this kind of capacity among tribal health staff, we facilitated training in a lot of areas that don't usually get covered in public health type workshops or classes. So some of the trainings that we did included Um, assessing community needs, developing a draft policy. How do you even write up a a walking policy or um, a smoke-free campus policy? We trained folks in engaging stakeholders and encountering resistance. So, you know, sometimes we know that if you just 
try to educate, some things will happen, but sometimes there's resistance. There's real reasons why leaders might not have chosen to do something. They have a lot of other competing priorities and needs. And so how do you navigate that policy landscape and advocate for changes? And also, how do you do that by working with non-traditional partners going beyond the healthcare setting? Maybe you're working with the schools to also have a referral policy for um, teenagers who smoke, trying to make those kind of community clinical linkages. We found that the skills are vital for ensuring that policymakers adopt, implement, and maintain these sorts of policies, systems, environmental changes in the future. And we know it works because because of our program. Over 30 policy systems and environmental improvements were made throughout our state of Alaska. And these changes will protect the health of over 46,000 tribal community members. So again, the benefit of policy systems environmental change, it's that community level nudge that if you can get these kind of things into place, then it can really affect the health of many, many people. Some of the changes that uh, our program worked on and successfully implemented included things like uh, tobacco-free and healthy food organizational policies, better healthcare facility signage so people can navigate around a a health facility more easily, as well as many new pre-diabetes, obesity, and tobacco screening and referral procedures and policies at tribal healthcare organizations. So oftentimes people think that they have a policy in place, but then when you really start laying it out, it turns out that it's not clear for perhaps the patients or the providers how to go about the system. So if you can create these policies and really engage everyone in doing it, you get a lot of positive outcomes and a lot of engagement between patients and the clinic and leadership all working together to improve tribal health. Please share your thoughts on ways this collection will be helpful to others working closely with tribal communities to improve community health. Mr. Lawrence. Utilizing the four core indigenous values and methods um, that I stated previously are very crucial you must always engage the community every step of the way from planning to implementation. Uh, You know, you got to remember to acknowledge that historical events that took place before us and how they have shaped American and Alaska Native health. And know that when you've worked with one tribe, you've only worked with that one tribe. We cannot generalize findings across all American and Alaska Native populations. Um, and then we must also acknowledge that there are different ways to conduct evaluation. It is, again, it is not a one-size-fit-all type of scenario. But to keep in mind to respect tribal approval processes also, tribal approval processes take time. It always plan for tribal approvals and allow flexibility. It's the opportunity for recipients to ensure that their stories and their data are shared in a meaningful and impactful way. And again, um, like I said before, and we must always remember to include urban Indian populations when working with American and Alaska Native communities. And we really just want to ensure that any kind of funding opportunities that do come out, that language is very representative of um, all American and Alaska Natives. When we say tribal, and we know within federal government language that language is everything. And so when discussing American and Alaska Natives, we must always state both tribal and urban, or we can state rural 
or urban populations. We just need to ensure that we are not excluding or erasing a majority of our population and making sure that everybody is counted and represented while also, you know, creating a sense of bi-directional respect between both the federal government and American Indian Alaska Native community. Dr. Redwood? I think the good health and wellness in Indian country is a remarkable and unique program. It really focuses on improving Alaska Native and American Indian health nationally and in individual communities through policy and systems changes. Policy systems environmental changes are often complex and they involve multiple levels of an organization or a community. They take more time to establish than traditional programs. So I think that this was an innovative program in that it gave people time to create those kind of connections and structures in order to make these changes. I think that building these changes into organizational norms and culture may substantially increase the sustainability of chronic disease prevention efforts, which overall I think will lead to improved tribal health in the future. And the activities being conducted in multiple diverse tribal communities under under the program, they really represent successful and innovative work. It's been amazing hearing about the things going on across the entire country, these um, just success stories in small and large communities that will be able to improve life in the future. And I think as such, the findings from this collection really offer practical insights for others seeking to improve the health of future generations of tribal and rural communities. So my hope is that people will read this collection and really gain some ideas that help kickstart their own projects so that they can learn from what's already been done and improve upon it and carry out the work into the future. Thank you all for joining me today. You can read this collection of papers on the PCD Collections page online at cdc.gov pcd. The findings and conclusions in this report are those of the author and do not necessarily represent the official position of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. For the most accurate health information, visit cdc.gov or call 1-800-CDC-INFO. 